Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint. Um, with me in the studio is Jenna Koloski, who is the Community Engagement and Policy Director for the Vermont Council on Rural Development. And we were just talking about um, my experiences with rural development, which we'll get into a little bit later on. Jenna, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It kind of surprised us to be on the air. We were gabbing, and all of a sudden I get pointed <laughs> to, start talking, lady. <laughs> anyway, could you introduce yourself uh, to our listeners and your interest in rural development? Sure. Um, so I'm Jenna Koloski, a Community Engagement and Policy Director with the Vermont Council on Rural Development. Um, I've been doing this work for about eight years now, um, and I've had the opportunity to work with communities across the state from way up in the Northeast Kingdom down to the southern corner of the state. Um, I live in Huntington, and um, I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire. Maybe I shouldn't say I'm from New Hampshire. No, that's okay. We like New Hampshire. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire, and so, you know, community connection, um, it's always been important to me. And so I I find – I always say, and our former executive director, Paul Costello, always used to say that we have the best job in in Vermont. We get to travel around the state. We get to know people in every corner and see – the potential and opportunity um, in our communities. You do. It's a, it's a great experience. I, yeah. I was just telling Jenna, one of my – I worked for state government for about 25 years, including the legislature, and one of my uh, memories that I look on very fondly is being uh, on the on the Rural Development Council and going to Johnson – uh, for um, a community meeting, and, and we're going to talk about that because that's a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you – I mentioned the council. Could you tell us a little bit about the council and what you do as a policy director? Yeah, so the Vermont Council on Rural Development, it, it's kind of a unique entity. Um, we're actually authorized to do what we do by the federal farm bill um, ah. in the early 90s. Um, but – the farm bill doesn't it doesn't come along with any like authority or money of any sort. But it allows Just do us, the work, Jim. Yeah, it That's says here's what you can do. <laughs> right. Um find some money to do it. Exactly. Uh no, but it, it does allow us to have a really unique um board of directors. We have people on our board that can't usually serve on, on board. So we have members of the of state government, so members of the cap doesn't matter what party, um, we're nonpartisan. Um Federal leaders, business leaders, nonprofit community, and then representatives from all three congressional offices. So it gives us kind of an interesting view, interesting um, kind of glimpse into what's going on in in communities. And then our work is kind of – I think of it in two different ways. So um, we do – do kind of statewide policy and convening. We're a neutral facilitator of community and public process. So we do look at issues that are facing rural Vermont and bring together um, leaders to think about solutions and action that can address those issues. So in, in the past, we've facilitated major statewide convenings on the Council on the Future of Vermont, on the working landscape in Vermont, so looking at um, farm and food enterprises in the state. So we do that convening at the state level, but the kind of core and heart of our work is really community facilitation. Right. So, That's really great. Um, we work directly with communities around the state to help identify priorities great. for the future. Which is one of the reasons that uh, you're here and we have yeah. it because you have some very special event to talk about mm-hmm. that's coming up around the corner. 
We do, yeah. So um, the program that we run is called our Community Visit Program, where we're invited by communities to come and provide a platform for facilitated discussion. And we're actually working with the town of Northfield right, right. now. Right. Um, and Northfield, the select board, um, it's been probably a couple of years now since they invited us. We have a long wait list of communities that are interested in this kind of facilitation. Right. But we're really excited to be able to offer the program to uh, Northfield. And now we work on behalf of the full community. So the select board invites the process, but now we work for everyone. And we're kicking off uh, that process with a big community event, free dinner, and forums on the future of the community on March 21st. That's great. Um, and that that's the first part. Uh, of a three-part series. That's right. And um, you also had a steering committee that was put together before this kickoff. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So for us, you know, a core value of our work in communities is that we Mm -hmm. don't tell the community what they should do. So we come to a community and we say, what are the things that you would like to see for the future? And we help them develop action plans and connect to resources. So that starts from the very beginning. So the steering committee is a group of representatives from all different parts of town um, that come together to kind of set the schedule and topics for discussion. So we'll probably get into the different topics that they chose, but um, there will be six forums through the course of the afternoon and evening on March 21st. Those topics were selected by this steering committee, and we're really careful when we put that group together to ask for – advice from people locally and look around and look at, you know, do we have representation from Norwich, from the town? Right. Um, Do we have young families, the schools, youth? We had a a high school student in that group who was very articulate and and brought some really great ideas to the the table. And we had a student from Norwich. So we kind of look at all the different parts of the community and bring them together to think about what's important today for Northfield to discuss. And you also have, which is how I got involved, you also have uh, people from the state, region, uh, federal government, some of the nonprofits. That, so there's more than just Northfield folks. There are people coming to bring their expertise and so the people will, you'd have to go and ask for help anyway. So yeah, they're there at the yeah, table. Yeah, so that's one kind of feature of the process. And so the steering committee is very much all local voices on March 21st. So now right. we look at the topics the steering committee chose. So youth and families, how housing, public safety, Northfield, Norwich Connection, recreation and infrastructure. We look at those topics and we invite a visiting team of folks that we know can come listen in. And we tell them, and you did this, they're not there to give speeches. (laughs) They're not there to to talk about, um, you know, what they can offer to the community. They really are listening. um, And then they also become a resource to the community once the community decides what they'll do. So so we have our our visiting team of folks just like you did in Johnson that will come and join on March 21st. That's really great. And um, uh, maybe we could talk about Johnson because – um, they had a great success. This is probably how how this whole process should work from beginning to end because maybe you can say how I, – I have always talked about going to Johnson. I just <laughs> – it was one of the highlights of my career in state government. Yeah. It was cool to see all the people that showed out, very enthusiastic, obviously loved their town, and I know Northfield's a very strong community. So you, they'll yeah. be they'll be active, which is a good thing. Yeah, we do tend to see a really strong turnout for these events because I think, you know, people see the topics, they see what's important to them, and they want to show up for right. their community. And so Johnson is one great example. You know, communities that go through this process, the outcome 
depends on what they want to work on. And so we ask them that question. We say, what are the assets? What are the challenges? But most importantly, what are your ideas for the future? And then we help connect to resources to advance those ideas. So the outcome could look a whole number of different ways. Sometimes it's major infrastructure projects. And we see towns, especially today with federal money coming into the state, we see towns ready to access some of that funding. And Johnson was one where, through that process, they said, we have crumbling bridges and, and road infrastructure. Um, we have this vibrant downtown, but there's ways we could spruce it up a little bit, mm -hmm. make it more walkable, make it more vibrant. And so they embarked following that visit on a huge um, infrastructure, kind of downtown streetscape redesign. They yeah. buried their power lines. They fixed up those bridges. They put in you know, nice sidewalks and really improved um, the look and feel of their yeah. downtown area. Um, they have a big artist community down there. There's do. a building there which houses um, a lot of um, products from these folks' uh, work, pottery and all that sort of stuff. So right. it's a great community for a variety of reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that was the other piece that they prioritized. So there was the big infrastructure work, but there was also this feeling in the community that they really wanted to reconnect like they had the arts community they had the college they right. have um downtown businesses they have all these different parts of the community but no one was huh. you know connecting yeah, right and right. so they started this um concert series where each week a different group in town hosts the concert everyone comes and so it really helped to build that that connection nice. um, and if you uh you know no i come from berlin apparently i was just going to call vince conte and talk about our discussion this morning, but Berlin's already on the list, so good for him. Yeah, they've requested a process. Yep. We're committed, and um, like I said, we do have a long list of, of commitments. We know we're um, headed to a few uh, towns up in the kingdom. Right. Um, Berlin is is on there, too, and Shelburne, actually, as well. We're Shelburne. not in Chittenden County very often. <laughs> um, well, I but, guess, where is the center of Shelburne? I'm trying to, it's just Route 7, right? Somewhere along there, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Center there. Yeah. Well, I just, um, Senator Doyle, uh, those of you who remember our beloved senator, I uh, used to teach in Johnson, so he'd call me up there. Whatever job I had, somehow it was pertinent to the class he was teaching. <laughs> so I'd go up there, and then I would spend time in Johnson at restaurants and shopping around. Yeah. So, and it's a very nice college town, I think. Uh, it's, and I bet now that it's been improved, um, it's even better. Yeah, it was one of those places that had so many assets to build on. And I think right. Northfield's really similar. For sure. yep. You know, when we work with a town, the first thing we do, um, because, you know, we're not social engineers. We're not right. experts on Northfield. The people that live there are right. experts on Northfield. So we do a lot of, and it's my favorite part of the process, honestly, like, you know, we, we call people up and ask, you know, what's going on in town today? What are the yeah. challenges? What are you seeing? Um and that's really what I'm learning in, in Northfield is there's a lot of assets there, a lot of kind of foundational work done. They've done a lot of planning work. They have a full-time economic development director, which is something that a lot of towns yeah, for sure. prioritize through this process. They're like, yep. we need staff. We need capacity. A lot of towns are looking for that capacity to access this funding that's coming into the state. And I think Northfield is well-positioned. It's just a matter, I think, in this process, what I'm hearing is there could be a lot of value in – bringing people together and really finding those common yeah. values. Well, and I think you'll find Northfield and Berlin are, are pretty well connected um, because um, uh, we Route 12, which is in Berlin, goes right into Northfield. And I think folks that live over there shop more in Northfield than they do perhaps on 302. And Jenna, we talked before about uh, in March they, the phase one of this 
um, process. But there are two other phases. Part two and three. Uh, part two will take place on April 18th. And part three will take place on May 16th. So could you talk about what happens in each of these uh, steps here for the people in Northfield? Yeah. And so so this is a process that we've kind of – so we've been doing this for about 25-ish Got years. Got it down to a <laughs> – And we've worked with about 87 different communities. Wow. And it has changed over time, but a lot of the fundamentals remain the same. Um, and it works <laughs> to get people talking. So um, – the first step, so this March 21st event, um, 4.30 to, to 8.30, that's really the big kickoff event. You could think of it as like the summit on the future of Northfield. Right. So everyone's invited. We're right now engaging in a like deep engagement process, invitation process. Um, if we do our job right by March 21st, everyone will have heard about it 10 different ways. Um, and so we invite folks together, and that's essentially the brainstorming phase. So... Uh, we'll have six different forums on the topics chosen by people locally. We'll have our visiting team with us listening in. Right. Um, and then we, and then we facilitate and we ask the questions in each forum. What are the assets? So for example, with housing in Northfield, what's working well with housing today? What are the huh. challenges? <laughs> what is working well yeah, with housing? That is a big very question. Very few towns these days that yeah. don't put housing on their, on their list. It's a big one. Yeah. Um, we ask about challenges and then we ask, most of the time we spend on, okay, so what are what are we going to do? What are the action steps? Um, and we just develop a big brainstorming list. As a facilitator, it's a fun one to facilitate because there's no decisions. It's yeah. everything's on the table. Right. We build that list. Um, we then end up with like hundreds of ideas, like 20 pages of Good. ideas from the community. We also have a survey online and um, at the town office and library that people can fill ideas out. And we do a youth forum at the high school. So we have all these different inputs. We consolidate them. We come back on April 18th. That's, That's the day where we set priorities. So uh. put them up on the wall. Um, everyone together reviews those ideas. And then we walk through a process to um, for people to say what's most important to them. They can stand up and say, um, you know, it's not a debate event. It's really to say, here's what I think is most right. important. There's no bad ideas, they there, say, right? <laughs> right? These are all ideas that came from the community. There's no bad ideas, but there's some that feel more impactful, right. that feel more actionable um, and more critical to start working on. And we also ask, like, what are the things you want to work on? Like, right. what is inspiring and interesting to you? Because that night... Once those priorities are chosen, we actually ask people to sign up for task forces to work on them. So the last thing we want is for people to say, yeah, that's important, but that's for, you know, you always hear in community conversations, they should. Oh, wait, who is they exactly? (laughs) And I always say, yeah, they is you. Right. And so it's really about what do you want to work on? So um, we ask people to sign on for task forces. The following, so that May event, May 16th, that's the action planning meeting. So um, that's the meeting where now that they have their idea, we say, what are the first five steps that you need to take? And we actually bring another team. So we've talked about the visiting team on March right. 21st. They're kind of visionary leaders. They're the, you know, you were the secretary of, right. of transportation when you were in Johnson. Those are the people that have a really great, like, statewide view of what's going on, and they can listen and reflect. At In May, we'll look at the priorities that are chosen. We don't know what they'll be. But then we'll invite people who can bring like expertise and resources to the community. So, um, you know, in uh, we might think about bringing the Regional Planning Commission or the Regional mm-hmm. Development Corporation mm-hmm. for that area, and they often end up working with that group in the in the long term. 
um, we bring other community leaders who've been successful in their community with the project that this community has mm-hmm. chosen. And most importantly, we bring people who might have funding to, to bring. I was going to ask you about that part. <laughs> uh, is there yeah. funding available to the community to get some of these action plans done? Yeah, so resources can come in several different ways. So we do, thanks to some of our funding from Northern Borders Regional Commission and USDA Rural Development, we do have a little bit of seed funding that we can help um, just to get things started. It's not a lot, right. but it can help to match a grant or um, kind of fund an initial um, action step. We also have a full-time staffer now who can provide follow-up technical assistance right. and support. She lives right here in Waterbury. Oh. Um, she used to be the economic development director here, Alyssa Johnson. And she nice. is – it's added so much to what – we can bring to communities that these priorities are chosen. We can help them get to that point, but now we can help, you know, in the long term a little bit more. Um, And then other than that, what we see communities do is really, um, I think that we've been doing this long enough now and develop deep enough partnerships with our funding partners that they kind of see these processes as like a pipeline to funding. So we'll bring, you know, we have close partners in USDA rural development in Northern borders, regional commission, in um, Department of Housing and Community Development, folks that that do have resources and they want to get those resources to communities. And so um, they'll come with us in that final action planning step. And that's a way that communities are able to access some of that. Jenna, I also read that in this... uh, uh, almost one of the benefits of COVID, is there such a thing, is you're <laughs> going to have a virtual forum available. That I, How is that going to work? That's amazing because yeah. you know, I don't think that those forums are going away anytime soon because we all sort of like them. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually. It's been a fascinating couple of years for us. Like yeah. you can imagine, you know, in 2020, we've got commitments to – we worked in Barrie. We were committed to um, – several of their towns and all of a sudden yeah you know our job is to bring people together in the room Wrong. and all of a sudden you can't do that anymore <laughs> right. so we put some of those on pause um when we came back to community convening we actually did two full processes completely online um that was a fascinating learning experience it worked like we have um a couple of towns and they're still working hard at their priorities and um that's been really neat to see Um, But when we came back to in-person events, we realized that we needed to have options. Like people have different comfort levels with being in the room. And there's, you know, I'm a a parent of young kids. Like there's actually, you know, we have parents that are like that. I can put my kids to bed and then I can join an online form. It's not just about the pandemic. So it's something we want to continue to offer. That's great. At this step on March 21st. Because there are six different forums, it's complicated to have Zooms for every forum. So what we do is we offer a separate Zoom forum at 7 p.m. that people can join in and have a conversation about Ah. the future of of Northfield. The second step in the process, that prioritization when everyone's in the same room together, we've been doing that completely hybrid. And that has been extremely difficult and also really, really cool right. um, to, to make that happen. And the way we make it happen is we tend to partner with the local public access TV. Right. And they'll come in and they'll help with camera work and um, 
you know, the AV yep. side of things. And we facilitate fully, fully hybrid where people on Zoom are participating, people in the room That's are great. participating. We have a whole voting structure because in the room, you know, you have dots you're putting on the wall. And on Zoom, we have a parallel structure. We add them together. So Great. With the little yellow hand that when you want to talk, you put on your yep. little yellow <laughs> hand. <laughs> little yellow hand. And then we've got a little poll that people can – it's like online dot voting Great. basically. And so we do that fully hybrid. But for this one, on March 21st at 7 p.m., at the Northfield website, so we have this um, bit.ly website, bit.ly slash future Northfield. Um, there will be a link to a Zoom forum there um, where people can join and, and have kind of a broad discussion on the That's future. Right. Of the so you're looking at a poster yes. uh, for the event. <laughs> oh, no, because I think this is great. So people walking around Northfield and other places, they should look for this this will be this, all over uh, town, and it will be on the website. And right. probably the easiest thing to say on the on the radio is – vtrural.org is our website, yep. and that will point people to the Northfield yeah. website. Great. Um, or our number is uh, 225-6091, or yeah. sorry, 223-6091, and that will direct people to And to place. even make it more participative, which is a tough word to say, <laughs> you have transportation and childcare available, I read. That's just covering everything. You guys did a great job. It's really important to us to make the event as accessible as possible. You You know, we want to hear from as many voices as we can in Northfield, and we want to try and reduce the barriers to doing that. Like, we know that it is hard to show up at an evening event, to get out of the house, to set aside other priorities and other things we have going on. And um, one reason that we tend to see strong engagement in these events is because we try and reduce those barriers. So That's great. um, Good for you. We're working with... um, Folks locally to provide so Natural Wonders Childcare is providing childcare during the forums and everyone's invited to the dinner. So we I love when we have a lot of families and kids right. at the dinner. Are um, you sponsoring the dinner or do you have other sponsors that have stepped forward to to help? Because that's got to be more than a dollar ninety eight. Yeah, great <laughs> question. So um, here when we commit to working with a town, um, we fund. So this process is entirely. We don't ask the town to pay for this process. It costs us about $45,000 to pull off one of these processes. A lot of staff time, a lot of outreach time. But we asked the town for two things. One is to commit to a mailing that invites everybody in town. Um, So we're working with with Jeff Schultz at the town office to to get that out. And the other is the dinner. So the Ah. town of Northfield um, puts the dinner on. I believe they're working with some... um, with a local business to, yep. to set that up and, and that'll be, and all of these events will be at the um, Northfield um, high school. Great. Middle Excellent. School. Yeah. If they've got yeah. a couple of really nice restaurants in Northfield, so maybe they'll step up. That's cool. Yeah. Now, $45,000. Yeah. Now you said you, where do, do you take donations from people? Where does that funding come from? Yeah. Our funding is, it's, it's very similar to many nonprofits in the state. So we're an independent nonprofit right. organization. We have a little bit of support from the state agency of commerce and community development. A lot of our funding is from um, memberships, individual donors, right. like any nonprofit, um, and then federal and state grants as That's well. Great. Excellent, Jenna. I hear the music. It is time to take a break. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Jenna talking about the Northfield experience. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. 
If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint, and I'm here with Jenna. I have to pronounce that. Koloski. Is that correct? Good for me. I'm getting better at this. Um, (laughs) We're talking about a very special event that's going to be happening in Northfield in three segments. The first one to start on March 21st, correct? And um, I noticed each each community you go to has a little different title for the project. So I presume Northfield came up with theirs. They did. Yeah. This is kind of something we've done in more recent years. It used to. So this is called the Community Visit Program. Um, And it used to be always that it would have been the. And in fact, Northfield had Northfield was one of our first community visits in 2000. One, huh. I want to say. And so we're actually coming back to Northfield with this. But so that would have been the Northfield community visit. That's what we right. always called it. Right. And just over time, community started to say, like, I don't know if people know what that means exactly. That's what we call it. But anyhow, so we've had towns want to select their name. And what I love about that is that it reflects and indicates what the town would like to accomplish. So just right. some examples are, you know, in we worked with Burke um, not too long ago, and, and they called their process One Burke. And you think about the town of Burke, like there's East Burke, which Mm -hmm. is where, you know, the Kingdom Trails, mountain biking. um, And then there's West Burke on kind of the other side of town that is really different um, part of the community, but really important to the kind of economic foundation of the town. And then Burke Hollows in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that they wanted to accomplish in their process was to bring those different um, uh, parts of the community together. And so one Burke was really signaling. And in the end, it was really cool to see how they selected priorities that kind of focused on each of those different areas. So they had priority on, um, you know, with all those mountain bikers, they wanted to do like crosswalks and traffic and pedestrian safety in East Burke. But they've also been, and they, they've recently gotten quite a bit of state funding to work on a big um, water and sewer infrastructure project in Westport. They've done a lot of planning work there. And they also wanted to think about a trail or pathway connecting across all three. So Great. it was really neat to see that, yeah. you know, that goal of one Burke kind of come to be um, in the end. And that's, that happens in a lot of communities. I'm sitting here thinking about Berlin while you're talking about that. We have people that live on Route 2. Yeah. We have people like myself that live off of 302. We have the plateau area, which is where the hospital is. And then we have Route 12, which is what we were talking about before going into right. Northfield. So there's four and never the twain shall meet. I mean, right. Right. Uh, we don't have, well, they're working on a town, um, um, town center, right. which is really helpful because unless you have kids in Berlin, Right. And go to the school. Point, yeah. Right? It, it's honestly, it's a huge theme that we're seeing. Especially now, I think, kind of, I guess it's hard to say post-pandemic, but where we are now, I think people are really saying, like, what are the ways that we're coming together in our community, whether that's a physical space. We've had several communities prioritize, like a community center, a physical – we worked with Milton um, recently, and they're working towards, like, a – a community center and recreation center for the town, right. which would meet a lot of needs, but one of them being trying to bring um, – that's a, a town that's kind of spread out right. and really trying to bring people together. So we're seeing a lot of that. And I think in Northfield, what you just described in, in Berlin, it's really similar. You know, They have um, several different villages. Right. Um, and then they have this big, you know, university right in the right, middle of town. Right. And and historically, I think I think there's work to be done to continue to build that relationship. Yep. And 
Um, so when we brought the steering committee together, that's something that was really important to them, bridging those different. And, and I think it's not just, I think it's geographic. I think it's political. I think it's, you know, newer community members, right. older community members. Right. Like it, it's a lot of different, um, yeah. right? So this Northfield, our common future, um, the steering committee really wanted to point to that, like, togetherness that we want to come together and decide what's well i would encourage folks that are listening oh and by the way if you want to talk to jenna the number here at the studio is 244-1777 but it's um the work that you do is amazing and you've got a great website um and there's uh, they have action plans and and information about the the communities that they visited i just went back through to july 2022 uh, it's got Our Future Putney, mm-hmm. Let's Grow Concord, mm-hmm. Brownington Connects, and Highgate Reaching New Heights. Mm-hmm. And there's a report and action plan uh, for all of these towns. And you get a sense of what's going to happen in Northfield uh, and eventually in Berlin, which I'm very <laughs> excited about. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, – and you just said if, like, if Berlin hadn't, our council would talk about it. They'd reach out to you. And what gets them on the list? Yeah, I mean, communities come to us for all kinds of different reasons. Um, you know, in some cases, it's communities where some bit like Highgate's a good example where they have they had a big airport um, project going on. They had some major infrastructure work going on. So there was already a lot happening and they were wanting to bring more people in. They wanted to think about what's next for the community. They want to think about how to best leverage and use these new resources that were coming in. Um, some towns are really saying, gosh, we have a list of 25 different things that we want to do, but we really need to narrow it in right. and we really need to engage volunteers. And some towns maybe have experienced a recent crisis of some sort. We were invited to come and facilitate this process with Vernon after the closure of Vermont Yankee. Right. That was a major right. um, loss to the town. Uh, and they wanted to think about how to move forward yep. as a community. So I think right now also communities are looking at how to spend their, their ARPA um, funding that's coming yep. into yeah, We don't want to give it town. back. You have to spend yeah, it, you got to spend it. <laughs> and they're get wondering, real. how do we get community input to do this? And so we facilitate it. So, so anyhow, they come to us, um, but we never work where we're not invited by town or city. Sometimes right. it's a, a city that we're working with by leadership. So we go and meet with the select board or maybe city council in some cases, um, and they – uh, request the process, and then we have an advisory committee to our board that is made up of our kind of community development friends and partners. So it's right. Vermont Community Foundation, USDA Rural Development, um, it's Department of Housing and Community Development, um, and Preservation Trust of Vermont. Right. And they make decisions about these requests and make recommendations to our right. board, and our board approves Excellent. it. Excellent. I feel yeah. bad. Uh, the only thing I know about Highgate is P and H truck stop. That's my entire. Yeah. <laughs> that's my entire knowledge of Highgate. I apologize to those that live there. Um, but um, it's a great community. I got, yeah, I got to know know it fairly well, and um, and it, it, we hadn't worked in Franklin County in a while, and now actually. Their neighbor, Franklin, is on our list. Of, oh, excellent. Of, yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. So you're thinking Berlin's going to be a ways off, though, right? I think, I mean, it'll be in the next year or so. Ah, um, But we do have a couple more commitments first. Yeah. Good. Well, all I can tell you is uh, that you should check out their website because, um, and read one action plan, maybe Highgate's action plan, because it's very thorough. Um, 
And yeah. if it gets implemented, life is life is good for everybody. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing that's important to us. Like I think oftentimes, and I know there's probably people out there listening to this that are going, yeah, yeah, like we've yeah, done right. this before. Right. We do because towns do a lot of visioning, a lot of planning. It's part of you know, we all have our town plans. And right. We do a lot of this work together. And we know that we know this that we're not the only you know planning conversation. But I think what distinguishes this a little bit, which is really important to me and important to us as an organization, is that we, what we don't want is to just create this plan right. that then like sits on the shelf. Um, this process is really about action, and it's really about narrowing in on these concrete, clear ideas. Um, you think about a, a town plan, for example, and I'm not – it's critical. It's important. It's required. Right. We all have right. – and so – but you think about that, and that's like a long list of all the different directions that a town wants to go in. Right. That's important. You need to have that context. But then a lot of towns come to us and say, but how, where do we start? You know. And so this process is really saying, what are the – Three, you know, in a town the size of Northfield, it might be three or four. Some tiny communities we work with, it's just two. Um, and they say, what are the two things that we really want to focus in on right now mm-hmm. and get started on? And then we accomplish a couple other things, which is we connect them to resources that they may not have been able to access before and also engage some new leadership in the work. To me, a, a major success coming out of a community is where the new chair for this task force is someone who's never been on a committee before. Mm-hmm. And we provide training and support and coaching, um, how to run an effective meeting, all that. Um, but what we don't want is to leave with this big plan and the same 10 people on every single committee, every commission. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I love that those people are critical. They're foundational to our communities, but we want to bring in, you know, new, new volunteers, um, new voices. I so. just said that about the, the 10 people in town. We were talking about ethics and, and about conflict of interest. And, yeah. and, um, now they, they've got it put in place for the state level. They want to look to the municipalities. And I'm thinking to myself, good luck. It's only 10 people that run, <laughs> that run the towns. They're in everything. Yeah. And and plus their business and and whatever they choose to be on in town, I'm like yeah. good luck to you. Yeah. I'm it's it's probably needed, but yeah. there's so much conflict of interest in a municipality. It's really it's challenging. They're it's there challenging. to do the work, the ten of them, yeah. you know, or maybe a little yes. more. Yes, and like I said, like so important to getting this work done. Yeah. Nothing gets done in communities without those people, exactly. but we also yeah, don't bring want them others. to burn out. Yeah, right. <laughs> so right. we want to bring in other, other leadership as well. And we're just going to be talking about um, the Vermont Proposition Proposal. Jenna, can you tell us what that is? And um, it just sounds so fascinating to me. Yeah. So a little bit of background <laughs> that um, – so years ago um, – the Vermont Council on Rural Development facilitated the Council on the Future of Vermont. And that was a major statewide conversation heard from thousands of people um, to look at values that are important to Vermonters. They right. think about the future. That was actually where our working landscape initiative came from. Oh, that I was remember such a critical that. Right. value to Vermonters is yeah. maintaining our working landscape. So we did that many years ago. Um, of course, in 2020, we hit this moment where 
Vermont was at a major turning point, right? Where I mean, globally, <laughs> we, we've had a, a pandemic. Right. Communities, uh, the state are thinking about the future. Um, we have new funding coming into the state and people thinking about what to do with that, um, both at the community and state level. Um, and we really felt, our board really felt like, you know, this is a moment where wouldn't it be interesting to revisit that statewide conversation and say, okay, here we are 10, 12, <laughs> 13 years later. What's changed? What's um, the same? What are things that haven't changed that maybe should or things that shouldn't change? Anyhow, um, they wanted, they kind of charged us, charged the VCRD staff to go out across the state again and identify a set of um, critical action points that if we take action now, we can be successful in the future. So we essentially, we set up a, a list based on all of this convening we've done over the years. We hold um, statewide summits with 600 people attending. We have, you know, mm. these community visits around the state. We've heard from a lot of people. So we thought, well, let's kind of stand up this list and then get feedback on it and then make adjustments based on what we hear. So we engaged with four over 4,000 Vermonters. Mm. So we had a summit with our, you know, 500 people attending. Um, it was online. That was fascinating. Cool. <laughs> but we did it. I can't even imagine uh, keeping that orderly. Yeah. I don't know if we'll do it again, <laughs> but it was, it, but it was really neat to, to pull it together. Um, uh, we had regional COVID recovery forums in every region of the state. Uh, and then we held individual and group interviews. Um, and this was a, a, a nonpartisan um, effort. We wanted to hear from different parts of the, you know, different sides of the political spectrum. We wanted to hear from young people. We wanted to hear from seniors. We wanted to hear from low-income Vermonters. Um, and so we were really kind of strategic about these group interviews that we go out and, and do. And so with that input, we ended up with this list of 10 proposition points that? for the future of Vermont. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, interestingly, like I could, I, I, I can kind of go through some of these in the list, but many of them, I don't find them to be shocking. Right? No, like it's you, a great list. Yeah, like if you ask people, what do you think is important for the future of Vermont? You're going to hear these things. So, right. you know, it's things like um, uh, high speed, it, you know, access to affordable broadband. Uh, the last <laughs> mile discussion. Yes, right. um, that's something we heard quite a bit. Yep. Um, we heard a lot about addressing racism and celebrating diversity in our communities. We heard a lot about solutions to climate change, um, but also access to affordable childcare. Of course, that right. came up. Right. Um, that's its own proposition. Uh, education and youth opportunity. Um, uh, we also heard a lot about, of course, strengthening business, entrepreneurship, um, economic opportunity, housing. Um, so it's a list that I think most of us could probably build, but it has this strength of the voices of 4,000 people behind it. It's the most fascinating thing I've done in my work is read through all of that input right. and to just hear where um, where we share common values and also where there are differences. And we tried in, in the language of the proposition, which you can read at futureofvermont.org. Um, it, it, we tried to find that balance in the language of what we were hearing. So and what what's next for this list and for what you're trying to do? Because it's it's really and it is on your website this list because that's yes. where I got it. Yep. Um and it's just it covers everything. Although do I see housing on here? Housing it is must kind of embedded some, when we in the point about those, economic opportunity. Oh, okay, right. It talks about housing as a really critical tool yep. in addressing those equity challenges. So um the what's next for this list? So 
again, we aren't an organization that wants to just like create a list and have it live out right. there. So we built a, a really um, interesting and diverse group of people that we've called the Future Vermont Action Team. That list is also on our on that website, futurevermont.org. And um, they uh, have come together. They look at this list and they decide what are the actions that we should take to start to work towards um, some of this. And, you know, you can imagine some things in this list, like you think about child care. There's mm. an, Let's Grow Kids is an organization in Vermont right. that's really leading on that work. We don't need another organization leading right. there, but we can support it and we can kind of right. help them to advance their work. But other aspects on the list, the group looked at and said, hey, there may be room for us to take some action here. Um, and so this year they're focusing on several different things, but the big one that we're about to launch, so maybe like sneak peek into about to launch cool. is that – You've heard it here yeah, first, people. Yeah. Um, they are – we're about to engage in a big statewide conversation around youth opportunity and aspiration. Um, they heard from you know, Secretary French. They heard from – advocates working in education. They heard from educators. They heard from youth. And there's a lot of great work going on in workforce development, mm. in you know community connection in our youth. Um, there's a lot going on. But what we were hearing was um, there's not a lot of connection across those different efforts. And there could be more that we could do. And so we're going to be going out over the course of 2023. Um, we've brought together an advisory group of Youth, um, there's quite a few, I think there's eight youth members, as well as um, community members and leaders in kind of different aspects of, of the youth Great. opportunity arena. And we'll go out across the state and ask what's working well, what are the, the gaps as we think about youth connection to community, connection to workforce and higher ed, and what could we be doing Great. differently. So That's we're about cool. to we'll kick off our first forum in um, the St. Albans area in um, April. And then we'll be holding forums all Excellent. around the state. Oh, we'll have to look yeah. for that. Where will it be posted? Because yeah. I'm going to butt in. Yeah, that'll be on our website, <laughs> vtrural.org. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll, 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 very soon here we'll post the full kind of schedule and, and, and everyone's going to be invited to engage. We want to. I think what's interesting about the, this initiative is bringing together in one room. We want to have youth. We want to have educators. But we also want to have our business leaders and right. municipal leaders and really be thinking across those different parts of this issue. That's great because I'm looking through this list and obviously I think everybody's different um, and what what attracts me on this list may not attract you or, or others And right. but there's certainly, it's all there. Yeah. So you're going to find something that you like um, and that you can relate to. I wanted to I didn't do it. Probably a good thing. Um, but when I came up here from uh, New York I was, I wanted to open up a child care center and I was blown away by the cost of child care yeah. here. Seriously. And I, yeah. I thought, this isn't right. These, these people, um, we have different salaries here in Vermont than, than I did in New York. Um, and I don't know how they do it. So I'm very glad that there's some focus on child care. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. As a mom with two kids in child care yeah, right quality now. Quality child care. <laughs> yes. May I throw that yeah. word in? It's significant. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I'll just say, um, you know, it's something that we're seeing interest in working on at the state level, but also we are seeing communities, you know, back to the, the community visit conversation, we see communities prioritize this work. And um, in Craftsbury was a town we worked with in the same way we're working with Northfield, and they actually um, started a kind of community driven child care program there. Where was that? Um, in Craftsbury. No kidding. Craftsbury Write Saplings. That down. It's a wonderful program. Yeah. I, I wish we had it in Huntington. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
but they were, you know, they were parents coming to that community right. meeting saying, um, and Crossbury was a town where people were coming saying, well, we don't live here, but we want to. So we came to this meeting, <laughs> but they were having to go to all, you know, different towns, yeah. um, just like we do in Huntington to, to bring their kids. So, um, so they came together, a group of, of young, um, of moms came yeah. together and started this program. And so we're seeing towns, Randolph is another town where they've been working on a local childcare initiative, Bridgewater. Right. Um, we're seeing towns having to, to figure out a way to address it right. locally. Yeah, because first of all, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people would like to stay home with their kids. And these day and age, you just you just can't do that. Oh, we have uh, Fred from Newberry on the phone, sneaking right in here, Fred, under the wire. Um, Fred, do <laughs> you have a question? Well, this, you know, when you think about child care and how expensive it is, so the best way to reduce the cost of child care is to uh, just have the people that are doing the child care make less money. That would reduce, instead of paying them $10 an hour, pay them uh, $7.50. And that would reduce the child, the cost of child care. Um, may, I have to, I have to disagree with you, Fred, on this. My had two grandchildren that went to daycare. And, and every, every time I, I went there, I said, I don't know how much you people get paid, but it is not enough. I never, they had all these kids running around, and at the end of the day, they had a report card from the teacher, they had a craft done, and I, it's amazing. So, I know it's expensive, but somehow we have to, um, it's part of living. You put your kid, yeah. sadly, in childcare because it's a career for you as a mom. If you don't get involved in the workforce, it, it impacts your ability to move forward. Yeah, and and that, you know, and the Council on Rural Development is not an advocacy organization, and so I wouldn't speak to kind of which direction it should go in. But I will say what I can say is what we were hearing through this initiative, and and that's one challenge we were hearing was the staffing. Right. Oh yeah, the centers seeing turnover in staffing, and yep. so um, it is. It's a it's a challenging field. Yep. Um, because of the low. Yeah, wages. and to do it right, I'm sure it's exhausting because I every time I pick the kids up from Dick and I, how do you do that? I mean, this place is like bedlam. These kids are running around, and at the end of the day, <laughs> it's all done. And the kids learn something. I'm like, well, God bless you. It is incredible. Uh, thanks for calling, Fred. I really appreciate all your calls into the studio. Um, have a good day. Um, so there's and there's one thing that sticks out here for me. Do you guys get involved in clean clean water? Um, you know, we are. So we only get involved in advocacy work where our um, where communities decide to get mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. in an initiative. So we have had communities prioritize. Greensboro is one where they have the water, they built right. a local committee around right. clean water in their town. Um, and then we also um, facilitate uh, our when our councils decide on issues that they want to work on, we can work on their behalf. And so actually another initiative that the Future Vermont Action Team is focused on this year um, is looking at um, some aspects of the working landscape Great. and of – potentially compensation for environmental services that, that farmers are offering. So um, so they're kind of exploring that with experts in the field, and that connects to the proposition around natural lands and, and clean, clean water. Waters, because but. my in the back of my head, I keep thinking the feds are going to come in if we don't get Lake Champlain done and clean up the waters. And we haven't heard much about it lately, and I don't know where that initiative is because if we're worried about cost, when the feds come in, they're going to clean it up, and we're going to pay for it. So, 
Anyway. You're certainly seeing communities thinking about it as well, communities yeah. that are on the, the waterfront. Exactly. Well, yeah. Jen, I really appreciate your coming on board. I hope people will check your website out and participate. That's the key. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Yeah. And for folks in Northfield, March 21st, yep. um, you can find more at vtrural.org. Right. Excellent. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint, encouraging you to stay tuned because I have a special guest, Ethan Frost, who is going to talk about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint. And in studio, I am here with Ethan Frost, who's the founder and UVM student of, read for this folks, Cryptocurrency and Decentralized Finance Club. Probably I wouldn't join it, Ethan. Sorry. <laughs> He's been very gracious uh, getting me through this show because I, I know nothing. And so we're going to count on Ethan to uh, bring us through and uh, teach us all about Bitcoin, um, which we've heard about on the news a lot lately. So, Ethan, welcome. And could you tell our listeners a little about yourself and your interest in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a student at University of Vermont. I'm studying business and economics. I'm a senior, and I've always had a passion for technology since I was a kid. Uh, and so when I was about 13 years old, I learned about Bitcoin in a magazine. I uh, was really into computers, and I saw some sort of uh, little snippet about uh, Bitcoin, and I didn't really think much of it. I wish I did. It was about $100 back then. Uh, it's $23,000 wow. now. Huh? You know, I don't really lose sleep over it, but <laughs> it's definitely a little so hypothetical. That's a little jump. Right. Uh. Right. And um, so, yeah. So when I was 16, my stepdad and I actually bought Bitcoin for the first time. And that was my first real introduction uh, into it. And it was a great experience. I was able to actually, from the gains from that, get my first car, um, which I drove to come Good here. Good for you. Um, could have held it longer. That's always a sentiment that's uh, echoed in Bitcoin, uh, the Bitcoin community. And yeah. And so after that, it kind of slowed down and wasn't as interested in crypto. I mean, the market was lower and, you know, but one of my friends who I actually introduced to Bitcoin, his name's Dylan LeClaire. Uh, he's actually now, you can look him up on Twitter. He's a pretty um, active and famous person within Bitcoin. Uh, as I was talking to him as, as I was going through college, uh, he would always keep just badgering me about it. And so at one point or another, I just decided to really dive back in. And from mm -hmm. there, it's been that way since, and I started the club at UVM, and yeah. There you are, and here you are on my show. I'm so excited. I know also, besides Bitcoin, you're very involved in, and interested in what was referred to as emerging technologies, um, which Bitcoin is part of, I read. That's good. Can you talk a little bit about um, the definition of emerging technologies, and why does it hold so much interest for you? Right. Um, so emerging technologies are also known as like disruptive Technologies, it's in, it's in their name. It's basically innovations that really uh, have a large scope um, into what they impact. Uh, a disruptive technology could be like the car. It disrupted what horses were doing yeah. before, and it's a bigger shift. So other ones could be artificial intelligence, like the big thing right now is ChatGPT, uh, which is this automated text assistant that you could pretty much tell it to write anything, and mm. it will, and it's now raising questions about, how do we uh, – how does education work? How do we, uh, you know, 
if people, if kids can simply tell something or write something, what do we do? And right. so those kind of discussions too are something that fascinates me about emerging technologies is the questions they simply mm-hmm. raise. Um, and so, but I'd say the bigger thing is I come from a science family and so I've always loved, you know, the cutting edge and, 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 and innovation. And mm-hmm. so, uh, to be able to learn about things that you can kind of look into the future and see how they could, you, you, you have a, a ability to look into the future by yeah. studying these technologies. Well, I think um, my impression of Vermont is it's a good place to be if you're into entrepreneurship and it, because there's so many places to go to get help or, or to put your ideas into into being, and that's really great. Good for you. Um, so, all right, now we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Um, if you want to talk to Ethan, you can call on 244-1777. Keep him busy here because <laughs> I don't know how good I'm going to do. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is, um, the guy who, this is funny, the guy who supposedly came up with Bitcoin isn't really one guy. It's a pseudonym, Satoshi Nakamura, Nakamoto, which I've, who I've actually heard of, but there's no such person, right? It's a right. group of people that uh, use that moniker. Well, yeah. So uh, with, and we'll get into the general thesis of Bitcoin, right. the idea is it's created and there should be no owner or uh, person responsible for it. And so this alias was the name published with the white paper in 2008, which is basically you can think of the white paper as like the thesis. Right. What This is what we have. And it was posted on a form, the Bitcoin white paper, and uh, with the name Satoshi Nakamoto. And so there's a few different possibilities. Um, the first one, it could be just some random individual. We have no clue who it is. Um, <laughs> just and, running the world. Right. And, you know, some people are like, maybe that person's already dead and we have no clue. Uh, another one is it's a government operation, ah. which is unlikely given the – the, the essence of Bitcoin is a way to send value without being subjugated to an authority. Right. Um, and then the last one is really interesting. There's this guy named Nick Zabo, and he is, was an early pioneer in digital currency, and he had something called BitGold, uh, which was just a predecessor to Bitcoin, and it didn't really work. But he's someone who was at the same time as the white paper came out actively you know, thinking of things around uh, decentralized currency and then also too some people do think this guy's writing style was similar to the white paper and interesting so he's the, Nick Zabo is the only person that we could really think might have is he the guy him. I'm trying to remember who does all the um, uh, videos on Bitcoin um, he's a tall sort of good looking guy he's every every video I, I picked up was of him and I didn't write his name down but he's very knowledgeable um, yeah, it, it could have been. There's a lot of people that are yeah. in the space, for it's, sure. It's really cool. So let's start by talking where we are now. What we have, what we work with is called fiat currency, correct? Right. And it used to be based on gold, but now it's on the full faith and credit of the government. Yeah. Um, and that's where we are. Yeah. So um, and and my thing about Bitcoin is that it doesn't physically exist it's Dutch digital represent. That's the part that I I need to hold money in my hand, right. and Bitcoin is not holdable. No. Can you talk a little bit about that? About how it how it does exist and where? Right. So without 
diving completely into how it works because it is it is yeah. a rabbit hole, and I suggest everyone to learn about it on their own um, because I'm sure everyone will follow similar right. steps with that. Um, and so, well, since the, everything is getting digitized, it was you know it's a question of why can't it be currency too? Mm-hmm. And um, with uh, being a digital currency, you are able to have a decentralized currency because decentralization meaning there's no federal reserve there's no policy makers Mm -hmm. you can't do that with pieces of paper Um, but you can when it's something that's digital um, through uh, some processes that i'll explain later Um, and so basically uh, it it was made not because it happens to be oh let's make a digital currency it was more we now have the chance to make a way to send value um, to people without being, uh, you know, with like different fees. Like, it, for instance, like if you are a um, migrant family or you're trying to send remittance back home, mm-hmm. Western Union is going to take a huge cut of that. Um, hmm. I just looked today. Uh, there was a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain for $47 million hmm. and it was sent with a fee of $6. Whoa. Yeah. And I so, could afford the six. The other, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, that's pretty much why it's just an indirect result of. Right. Is this, is it a concept you're going to say no? Um, is it like talking about the cloud? It's there, but not really. Is that the same sort of right. no, thinking? It, yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's in the cloud. It's not, it's somewhat. Um, instead of it being in one place on the cloud, meaning it's in a server somewhere in California, right. uh, the information or the uh, transactional history or the ledger uh, is stored by everyone. Everyone can access huh. it. Um, but I read, Ethan, that there is one digital ledger for all the Bitcoin transactions that have ever taken place. Right. Where does that exist and who maintains it? Okay, so that is um, – everyone can access that. It's about 432 gigabytes, and it has every single transaction since 2009 uh, when the first block, which we'll get into, yeah, right. was uh, minted. And um, that's how it's decentralized. Everyone can access it and see uh, the history of all of the um, transactions, although to actually – add to it, there's other layers that make it so you can't just simply go online and change it. Right. Yeah, because they had talked about um, oh, by the way, people, I did this. There, I googled Bitcoin for dummies and darned if there isn't a book out there. <laughs> so that's what I read because I would qualify for the second part of that um, title. Um, I read that um, there was a problem in the beginning of people duplicating in digital money and it was called double spend and they've right. sort of fixed that how have they fixed the uh, with corruption by doubling doubling down right so double spend issue was basically the hump that digital currency was trying to get over when I was talking about uh, yeah, Nick Zabo his currency right. he was facing that issue uh, how and so double spend is basically imagine you have um, you have a photo, like on a, like a folder. It's in a right, file, right. and you send it, in, and you want to send it to two people, but you're only allowed to send it to one person, right? You can simply just copy and paste it, and then send it to two people at the same time. Mm-hmm. How do you? How does this uh, decentralized um, uh, 
system keep track of that and know, hey, this was already sent somewhere. And so that goes down to how the consensus mechanism, which is basically – think of consensus mechanism as like the, the, the Fed or like whatever systems we have mm-hmm. that control our money now. Um, and that verifies that there wasn't any double mm-hmm. spending mm-hmm. or creating counterfeit or fake money. And that's through looking back at the entire history of Bitcoin transactions. So following it back all the way to its root and making sure, okay, this this didn't just appear out of thin air. There must be huge capacity to store all this stuff somewhere right? Um, in the cloud. I'm still struggling with that. Oh, we got to take a break. Oh, and we have a phone call. Um, let's take the phone call first. Rich from Starksboro, do you want to talk to Ethan? Yes, I do. Good morning, Ethan. Um, I know folks of your generation are very concerned about climate change and uh, – all the discussion I've ever heard about Bitcoin never discusses the amount of electricity required to operate cryptocurrency. Um, for example, uh, Bitcoin would require 43 million solar panels or 4,600 utility-scale wind turbines to operate. Uh, in Cohasset, Massachusetts, the former uh, assistant facilities director snuck a bunch of computers into the basement of a, of a school and was mining Bitcoin in there because he didn't want to pay for all electricity. He's been charged with, with fraud for stealing $18,000 worth of electricity so he could do his Bitcoin mining. Huh. How do you feel about this with respect to uh, climate change? Right. Um, it's an excellent point, and I, I do agree with you. I think that how Bitcoin works it does use a ton of electricity, and there's always the counterpoint, oh, you know, what if the, it's mined with sustainable energy? We don't really know that. Um, to be frank, a lot of the mining, which is essentially um, just going back like the – how they can verify the transactions, they use a lot of computational power, which uses a lot of energy. Right. And um, so for miners to make a profit off the rewards that's built into Bitcoin, they have to use cheap electricity. What is cheap electricity? Maybe solar panels on a small scale, right. but it's typically coal. Um, and so Bitcoin does waste a lot of or use a lot of uh, energy. The um, economic, I guess, argument is that basically the energy being used to power Bitcoin is almost as if the energy is how it's backed as mm-hmm. a digital currency, um, which is an interesting concept. And this is where the discussion of blocks comes in, correct? Right. About the stringing of, of blocks. Um, Rich, I can't thank you enough. How many how many um, solar panels did you say? Am I still on the air? Can you people hear me? Yep, I can. Yes, you oh, are. Okay. Can you can you tell me how many, yeah. you said how many um, solar panels it would take to run? It says, um, reading right off of ABC's website, it says uh, the Department of Energy the daily needs of Bitcoin would require 43 million solar panels Whoa. of 4,662-utility-scale wind turbines. And he talked about the $6 transfer fee for the for the making everything cheap. People running Bitcoin try to go where the electricity is the cheapest, and all the servers are moving to, to China, and they're yeah. burning coal. And um, uh, what do you call that stuff? Carbon does no no boundaries of countries. So right. whoever's putting coal in the air is affecting the entire world. 
Excellent. Yeah, we have a big uh, bill in the State House S5 on this very subject. So interesting. Um, like we got to reduce that on, footprint. They keep WDV saying. WDV that can, can that can talk about the energy uses of Bitcoin. Just focus on that. Right. I think that would be enlightening. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll let you go. Thank, Thank you, you Rich. I really appreciate Bye-bye. your calling in. So we're going to have to take a break before we get back to talking about uh, Bitcoins with Ethan. Uh, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. And in the studio with me is Ethan Frost, who is teaching us all about Bitcoin. It's a young person, people. That's why he knows. <laughs> I've been, I struggled one whole day trying to come up with questions for this interview. And, um, there's a lot of information out there. There's videos that sort of bring it down to English. And I did like the, um, Bitcoin for dummies. I, I think there's a dummy book for everything these days. But anyway, so Ethan, we were talking about, uh, with the caller about the power that's required, uh, computing power. Um, and we mentioned, how it's all grouped into blocks. Is that something that you can talk about that uh, maybe people would understand what that means, a blockchain? Right. Okay. So just to break it down, so a blockchain, uh, if you can think in your head of like a bunch of squares in a row, um, and so in each one of those blocks would be transactions. And so about every 10 minutes, a new block is added to the Bitcoin Ledger, the ledger being the history, and that history in each block is in sequential order, um, and is it cannot be it's immutable, meaning it can't be changed. Um, and so when new transactions are added, um, they are bunched together in a block, and then the overarching system um, will then make a hash, and a hash is basically a cryptographic, so like a Digit, like a like a puzzle, like a cryptograph could be like the Turing machines in World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, so a really complicated one that uses something called SHA-256, which was actually created by the NSA um, huh. as a function. So its encryption is actually made from a government um, uh, creation. And so when new blocks are, or new transactions are added to the blockchain and they're bunched together, these miners, which aren't actually miners, they're just – it's basically a way to help understand what it is. So they basically are – like if it was gold, they'd be digging for the gold. Mm-hmm. So the miners are the people that bring the new Bitcoin into circulation through the reward they get by solving the block from this really complicated puzzle. Um, and so when they're done when, – when they're doing that and they solve the block, they have to basically audit the entire transact – the entire history of Bitcoin's huh. transaction going all the way back to the beginning. And so that's kind of where the blockchain idea comes in because it's every block is chained together and can't be changed. Interesting. And they, there was a phrase in, in all this discussion about the cryptographic puzzle, but they talked about it as proof of work. Right. How does that fit in with this discussion? Right. So proof of work is, um, I think I said it before, a consensus mechanism. It's basically the glue that keeps this concept um, or this uh, system uh, – to have integrity. And so without – if you have a bunch of transactions in a row and you make it easy to change the, the past ones, then it, there's no point. It doesn't work because mm-hmm. you can just say, actually, I have 
I changed my mind. I have 10 Bitcoins. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that with proof of work because what proof of work does, and I was describing with solving these uh, complicated problems, is that's the work. So your computers have to basic, your, you have to use computers to solve these really, this really complicated problem. And that's also where the energy concern comes from. Um, there's other cryptocurrencies, uh, without straying too far, that um, uh, mitigate this risk, and thus you can send tremendous amounts of money without burning coal. And, and then I read that each block has its own hash, which in my head I was doing hashtag, but has its own hash, which is a unique description for that block. So you're always dealing with the right block because it's numbered and you, or hash, whatever that may look like. Right. Um, and that's what creates the the blockchain. Um, and this I actually understand. So I was on a roll. Um, and then um, we talked about the power expenditures, which is what we our caller had talked about. And that the miners, the computers, they've um, it said they have some skin in the game, and in return they receive some newly minted bitcoins. But I didn't think there was newly minted bitcoins that you could hold in your hand. Or not. Okay, so oh. here we go. So, <laughs> He's shaking his head. I'm in trouble. No, 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 no. <laughs> so uh, minting is like – it's just like mining. It's just a term to describe. Like when you mint a coin, you know, it would – in a physical way, it would right. be actually making the coin. And so um, there's only 21 million bitcoins. Like it's a finite amount. But we haven't reached the end yet. And so as – Blocks are added in the the system. Again, this is just all the code. It hasn't been changed at all Ever, since, right. it, which is pretty profound given how long it's been going on and how much money is now involved in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it basically adds new supply. And so right now, if you solve a block, you get 6.25 Bitcoin, which is a lot of money, but the thing is it's not like one person's doing it. These problems are so complicated. It uh, just to get a perspective of these hashes, if you have 13 decks of cards and you take one card out, put it on a table from 13 card of 13 decks, the, if they were the odds of you solving a hash, or if every single card's a two of clubs, it's hmm. it's, it's astronomically hard. Right. And right. so that's where there's this huge group that will pull together to solve these problems, and then when they solve the problem, they get the reward, and that's where the whole cost benefit of how much energy I'm spending versus how much reward I'm going to get hmm. uh, comes from. And that's why there's that incentive to find cheap energy. Interesting. Um, and and we didn't talk about, you didn't mention a Bitcoin wallet. Right. What, is, what is that? Is that like a folder that has your information in it? Uh, yeah. And, and, and yes, yeah. And like really bare bones folder. Like just like it basically has your public key, which is – Think of it like your house address. Right. And then it has your private – you have your private key, which would be like your key to your house, right? Uh Everyone – not everyone, but everyone can see your house. Most people don't know who's in it, but some do. Um, And so your public key is a bunch of random numbers and and letters, and uh, that's your wallet's address. And so your wallet then you can send like Bitcoin to that wallet. And so your wallet is – it's again, it's just like minting. It's not really like it doesn't have much more than your address, your public key address, your like house key, private right. key, and then however much Bitcoin you have. And then to complicate it, we have 
a wallet that is cold or hot. Right. What is that, Ethan? Okay, so you're a, not leaving this studio until no. I understand. <laughs> so a cold, a, a hot wallet is basically, and I'm, I think this comes from other like uh, security. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, security guys or girls. Right. Um, a, like a hot wallet is connected to the internet, so you. You can have a, a wallet that is basically on a website like Coinbase. Yeah. And that would be basically it's connected to the internet. You know, you have security measures. There's a lot of you got to make it as complicated as possible, right? But it's more practical. A cold wallet would be something that's not connected to the internet. And it could mm. simply be uh, your uh, – it could be the private key, public key just on like a piece of paper. And like as long as you have those things memorized, yep. you can you can have your Bitcoin stored that way, and that way no one can find out. Awesome, like, Ethan. That's a little cue of the music that we have to go to break, um, and we'll be right back. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV, here with Ethan Frost, a Bitcoin expert. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today. Hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Hey there, it's Pat McDonald, uh, back with you on Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV and my guest Ethan Frost. And we're talking about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Here's a really basic question. Is there a difference between cryptocurrency and Bitcoin or it's the same thing? It's like saying uh, basketball versus NBA. Oh, okay. So like the, the Bitcoin is a specific cryptocurrency. Right. I got it. Thank you. Um, all right. So we're back to the questions. Um, and who... Who sets the Bitcoin price? Because you mentioned it went from a hundred to some staggering amount of money. Yeah. Um, what is it now? Uh, it's, I think it's like twenty three thousand dollars. Okay, so I just couldn't go on my computer and buy one. No. Because I'd actually need twenty three million dollars. Thousand. Oh, thou- oh, tw- oh, piece of cake. Still, still. Oh, yeah, it's oh. ridiculous. Uh, twenty three thousand. Um, yeah. So the price is set, just like. Uh, like a stock would. It's uh, right. it just supply and demand. Supply and demand. I get that part. I understand. I got the price. I got the stock market down. Um, and what makes it same thing for the price fluctuation, supply and demand? Right. No. So yeah. So Bitcoin's price is extremely volatile, meaning it changes a lot, and there's a lot of variation, and there's a lot of reasons why. One, uh, to some degree, uh, to be completely transparent, a lot of the times it increases in a tremendous value a lot of that's speculation um, and people might think twice before buying after that but also remember what happened to tesla stock in the last year right because he was accepting bitcoins yeah, wasn't he, he was, for a yeah. while yep um mostly for the headlines i'm guessing right but, um you know there is it, it does make sense why not accept it if you sure. believe you can handle the volatility right. Um, and then also to news headlines, of course, um, and just greater adoption trends. But the, the big one, too, is it's 24-7. Um, if the stock market was 24-7, it's a lot from what I've heard and what I've learned. It would also be a lot more volatile. Huh. Yeah. 
I used to live, work in New York and I, I hung around the stock market all the, I just didn't totally understand it, but I just loved the chaos and somehow at the end of the day it was, it was all done. Right. It's just amazing how I, and I knew two of the stockbrokers. They were friends of my former husband and I don't even, they would come over to the house and their head just never stopped. They were constantly checking and, and right. they lived it 24 seven. So, um, Here's my, here's my, you said it's $23,000. So I've got fiat currency, real dollars. And if I wanted to buy a Bitcoin, where, who takes my money and where does that go? Right. How do I buy a Bitcoin? So there's a few ways, but the simplest way would be to go online to a site like Coinbase, which would be similar to TD Ameritrade, and you buy the Bitcoin. You transfer, there's a little fee. Right. And then it sends it to your – on that website, onto that wallet, which would be considered a hot wallet. Right. Um, and then it's yours. And it's, my $20,000 goes to whom? Uh, it goes to the – the well, it could either go to the site if they own it. And again, you can buy fractions. So I, I think I own point oh oh. Oh, of a Bitcoin. Oh, so I could take my $100 oh. and buy a Bitcoin, a, yeah. a very tiny fraction of it. Right. And that's the other thing why it's – like it's fractional to the oh, very well, that's, small it's good to know. numbers. Um, it's not like it has to be whole. Like if you have one Bitcoin, it's like considered a milestone um, <laughs> in today's standards. And so, yeah, uh, it's it's it could be an exchange connecting buyers and sellers just like the stock right. market. Or it could be you're buying it literally from a site that has a reserve of it. And how do you know it's a legitimate site and not a fraud? Because in my little research, that word came up a lot, fraud. Right. Okay, so it's with something like that's a newer technology. Um, it, it, it makes sense that the, it involves money. That there could be a lot of fraud. Right. Um, you know, people like to think, oh, illegal things are done with crypto. That's illegal things are done with U.S. dollars all the time. Just right. Ask the For crypto. sure. Right. Um, but when it comes to like the schemes and the fraud of like false hopes saying you're going to get more money, that's an entirely different thing. Hmm. Um, and that – the best thing you can do about that is well, simply put, if you're going to buy Bitcoin, buy it on Coinbase, which is a publicly traded company. Okay. Um, and then from that, you can think of it like what you buy on a exchange, which would be in your hot wallet. That would be more like your checking. And then a cold wallet, which you can buy flash drives, almost basically flash drives. Um, that can store your key and basically like someone would have to go to your house right. and get that and then also unlock it to actually steal your money. Right. You can send it all to there, your cold wallet, which would be like your savings. And from there, it's pretty much impossible. Yeah, because I read if you miss – it's just like any any um, um, code. If you miss just one letter, right. you're not going anywhere. You're right. locked out. Yeah, and that's, that's a – you know – it's not a bug. It's like a feature. It's like right. you – it's part of the deal. If you right. don't want anyone in charge and you want the benefits of this, you have to be more careful and that is getting easier with time. Okay. So we can't have this show go on much longer without talking about somebody everybody knows about, <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried. Right. Lovely guy. Co-founder and chief executive officer of FTX. And he lost his – for his customers, $15.5 billion in, wait for it, nine days. That's a lot of losing. Uh, he was worth 16.7 billion on May 10th. 
But as of May 19th, oh, poor baby. He's only down to 11.5 oh, billion. No, I think he's below now. Oh, is he? He's he has zero? Negative. Oh, really? Well, then I'm happy for him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, he, he set out to steal and fraud, right. defraud. Yeah. It's, his story is very interesting. Um, I, a lot of the reasons it went, uh, arise not be, is because of the people that invested in him. You had some of the biggest venture capitalists, basically startup funders, right. giving mi- hundreds of million, $2 billion total in money, money to this guy. Um, I read yesterday in one case that he was, playing video games on a call in which they gave him $200 million. So, like, the lack of due diligence was a huge element. Right. And so, basically, what he did was he used the idea, like, basically obfuscated all of his um, uh, schemes by the fact that it's crypto and it's complicated and people don't really understand it and wasn't thoroughly audited at any point whether or not the exchange he had actually had the money. Right. Well, the feds weren't really paying attention to all of this, were nope. they? It was sort of a way to scoot around the feds. Right. Um, I bet they're paying attention now because I bet they know a few of those people yep. that lost billions. Uh, but don't feel too bad. There was a list on the on one of the sites that had all of the people that lost money and they said how many billions they lost. But then they said how many billions they have left. Right. So very few of them are down to zero. Yeah. That's why they have it. They just They just invested a portion. Right, and and the people that invested in the actual company FTX, like there's no sympathy for them. That's right. also how their business works. Like sometimes it fails. But the the real like bummer is there. Like for instance, there was a a, a pension for teachers in Ontario Ooh. that had money in FTX. Ouch! That's not good. And they That's... didn't have a choice. These teachers didn't have a choice. See that? I find that. Um... It's infuriating. Yes, I'm, there's a word illegal, just misuse of funds. That's a, that's a problem, right. um, because you don't get that money back, do you? Right. Gone is gone. Yeah, it's just like a, a crypto Bernie Madoff. Yeah, <laughs> great. Well, and this guy had his picture taken with every famous person in the world. I think he was. Right. Everybody wanted Sam to come to their house and come to their party and right. be involved. Everyone thought he was this genius and didn't really look much into it. I'm sure there's going to be a Netflix documentary coming out about him. That's going to be pretty riveting. Yeah. So um, I read some countries have actually banned the use of Bitcoin because of its volatility and hard to understand. So people are investing in something they really don't understand. Right. So in some ways, because this is a – a system that is like is just goes around all of the financial uh, things that are established right. in, in countries. It is some view it as an existential threat in some ways. So the countries that have banned it, uh, China, yeah. multiple times. I mean, it, well, know, there's a clue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, you know, and, and because of this, there's actually something called central bank digital currencies that mm-hmm. are now something that is going to be relevant in the future um, that derive from this blockchain technology because the government realized, well, dang, this the blockchain's just better. And so you're seeing countries start to talk actively about it as a way to basically uh, Get, get, be on a level playing field with the capabilities of Bitcoin because right. to some degree this is the only time the currency's ever been threatened. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it's it's never happened. Oh, so. It's got our government's attention finally. Right. And we have Jim from Barry on the phone. Jim, welcome to the program. Hi. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yep, we can. Go ahead. 
right. I wasn't sure if it was going through the Bluetooth or not. Um, Pat, I wonder if you do me a big favor. I'm very, I wouldn't say very interested, but I'm very intrigued by Bitcoin because I have no idea what it is. <laughs> Welcome to the crowd. I just, I just signed on, I just turned on the radio. And if you don't have a lot of calls waiting and you don't have any, anything else going on, could you ask your guest to do a thumbnail sketch of what Bitcoins are? Sure. Actually, that's one of the questions I had for him. So we'll just skip to that question. What is Bitcoin? Right. So Bitcoin is the first digital currency um, that was able to run without any central authority. And this the authority is the collective network. So basically it is a – it's monetary policy or it's like a policy around money um, is all – algorithmically um, set in stone all the way back in 2008 and since then has continued to grow in uh, exposure and adoption and also in total value. Um, and so I guess simply put, it is a currency that is borderless. That's great. So you want to test, Jim, see what you learned? <laughs> I'm like, what? What's the bigger issue? Who was this guy that's Going taking the fall for everything. What was that all about? Oh, he he was not a good guy. He defrauded his customers. Yeah. Uh, they joined FTX, which is his company, and bad guy. Yeah. And, and he has nothing to do with what Bitcoin is. Or no, anything. it's just like Bernie Madoff has nothing to do with money. Right, right, right. I mean, it's just the with Bitcoin and crypto, it's a little easier to trick people, right? Because it's right. new. Yeah, and and it's not something you can hold in your hand. You have no. to trust it's out there. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Jim, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Good questions. Um, look up, look up Bitcoin for Dummies. That's actually how I started to understand it. It's very simple. The Kiss theory, you know, keep it simple, stupid. But uh, <laughs> um, that worked for me. So, and I asked you about this before. How can you avoid being defrauded? It's sort of like when you click on a link on your computer and all hell breaks loose. Fishing. Yes. Right. So if you simply keep your private key, your house key, off the Internet, you know, maybe in a fireproof safe, right. there is Nothing. zero. Okay. It's completely zero. Like okay. there's no way. Um if you you know keep it in some sort of way off the internet, it's pretty much the best way to stay out of uh, getting hacked in, in your money. Taken. Right. As far as fraud goes, the big one is phishing. You, you know, you get an email saying you got to change your password. Right. No one ever, don't you know, don't right. ever right. with right. anything. Right. Um, and so that's a big one. Another thing too is uh, two factor authentication, which is popular now. You have you get a text message. Uh, you have to like put in a number from your phone. Oh, right, in. right, right. Um, that's not even you know that's not crypto. That's just in general. It's a very important. Thing. Common sense. But and then the big thing too is don't fall for get rich quick schemes. You know, uh, it's very easy to become a victim of a, a moment with that. And uh, you know, if you ever have to ask yourself, should I really? Like, does this really make sense that right. I can make this much money? You probably There's an old expression, Ethan. If it sounds too good to be true, right. it probably is. So yeah. back away. Um, so what do you think? Well, first of all, the government, I'm assuming after Sam sort of caused this crash, that they're going to start uh, um, paying more attention. And there's no taxes being collected on, on I don't know, was it increase or revenue? What do you call the money you're making? Well, right. So it's... 
first off, the regulation thing, um, they already said they were going to regulate it more, and then this happened. So this is kind of a wake-up call for them, right. um, for the SEC. Um, but as far as taxes go, it's um, like a stock. So you don't get taxed until you until realize you, the gains you, right. or losses. Right. And when does that happen in the Bitcoin world? Right. So uh, short-term capital gains tax, which is the higher percentage tax, is if you hold the crypto for less than a year, anything more is long-term. And that can really change. I'm not an expert on the tax things. Yeah, no, don't look at sold, me either. I haven't sold my Bitcoin. I yeah. don't really plan on it. It's more just something just to decide. To hold it. Right. Why yeah. not? You know? Is it something you have to claim uh, on your taxes or are they just forget about that part? Uh, Never mind. I don't uh, want to put you. As a 22-year-old, he doesn't really do his taxes. I don't really know. <laughs> Never mind. Moving on. <laughs> you do sound taxes. Like, yeah. I understand, Ethan. No, but well, it, besides, very, you're a student. Yeah, and yeah. it's very thoroughly. Now the all IRS knows all about crypto. Yeah, it's right. a lot harder to just. Yeah, and I hope Sam finds a. They put Sam somewhere. For real. Yeah, yeah because that's just that's so much money. Fifteen billion dollars in nine days. Yeah, I couldn't. I honestly couldn't spend that in nine days. Yeah, I no. mean that's just ridiculous. Well, yeah, <laughs> people are disagreeing with me, but it'd be fun to try, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give it to your friends. Anyway, what else do we need to know about here? There's so many words and things that um, I haven't even asked you about. Um, we have just a few minutes here. Do you? Can you kind of talk about? What people really need to know, like like right. today, I want to be part of this. What do I do? Okay. So I've said it a little bit before, but – Coinbase. I wrote that well, down. Yes. Bitcoin, like, fruition came in 2008. And since then, a ton of people have had all these different ideas about what cryptocurrency right. is, all this. But the, at the, since the very beginning, its ideas in its white paper have stayed true. It's stayed true to what it is. The narrative hasn't had to change to justify what it's done. It's just done what it said it would do. Huh. It didn't say it was going to go up in price, but it said it's going to have its own functionality. It's going to have it's it's going to be capped. There's not it can't it doesn't have infinite inflation. It's going to go around government oversight as far as you know um, like fees, exchange fees right. on currencies. Um, all of that has stayed true, and since then, it's been over a decade. That's a long time for a technology. You said white paper. Is that out there to be yep. read? Anyone can. I've read it. It's great. Where is it? Um, just, just Google, just it, yeah. Google yeah. Bitcoin white paper? Yeah. I, there's now the do Bitcoin.org, uh, which is like a nonprofit right. that basically helps like keep all of that up. Okay. And um, this is put together by that um, fake guy's name? Who wrote this uh, white paper? Yeah, just the uh, – we don't know, but either way, it's Satoshi Nakamoto, yeah, fake e guy. Everything that's coded in Bitcoin is publicly available. You can read every single line of code, and I'm huh. sure JP Morgan did when they invested billions of dollars into it. Um, and so it's basically fully backed that it is what it says it right. is, and that, right. that's it. And so if I – I'm not a financial advisor, but I would just consider it as something you could look into as a high-risk investment. Mm -hmm. If you have 5% of your portfolio happens to be in something riskier, right. put it there. This right. is, I wouldn't, like, I, I'm not going to tout that it's 
you just this foolproof. It's right. But, well, yeah. no investment is right. right. I mean, even the stock market, um, which I've been pushing for years to have them teach kids in school about the stock market, because I would have liked to. Right. All the money that I've made in state government in my career is all in a four hundred one k somewhere, and yep. I'd like to know what that's all about. Anyway, we have a caller, Rob. Um, oh, Robin. Sorry, Robin. Go ahead and uh, talk with Ethan if you'd like. Hi, Ethan. How are you? Doing good. Do we know Robin? <laughs> uh, no, no, he's not saying. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so my question is, a couple of years ago, um, my older son was like, Mom, you've got to buy Dogecoin. It's going to take off. And then it did, and we had like 16,000 shares of it. And it was like up to $12,000 for like three days. And then it went down to hardly anything again. And he said it was because it was kind of a joke uh, that people even, you know, were backing it. So what I'm wondering is, is there hope that that stock might or that that um, coin might increase again in value? And what did you call? What was the name of it? Dogecoin. Dogecoin? Now Um, that I didn't read about. What is that? Well, basically, it was a coin that's actually pretty old, and so anyone can make a cryptocurrency, right? Um, there'll only be one Bitcoin, but outside of that, there's a lot of other ones, and so one of them is Dogecoin, which for for the re- it, it, you know when all like all tides rise, yeah, uh, it kind of got lifted during that, and it really spiked. There was like jokes about it all over, and it was kind of a huh. viral thing, and so. Um, for me, when I look at a crypto as far as an investment, I look at the fundamentals of what it will actually do. Um, and I don't really know, and that's not saying that there isn't, but I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Doge doesn't really have any um, scalable problem that it's trying to solve. Um, so I'm not really sure what its outlook is. Oh, okay. So you're not sure if it's going to come. Is it still there? Is it still viable? It's still there. I would not invest in it. Yeah. It's kind okay. of a joke. Oh, <laughs> whoops. There you go, Robin. I'm, I'm with you. I have no idea. Um, but anyway, sorry. Thanks for calling. I'm, I sure, had... I'm sure your son is fully aware yeah. of what I'm saying. <laughs> he is. He was mad I didn't sell it right when it hit its high point. Yeah, well. well it can't be perfect. No, but you never know when to sell, even stocks. I mean, right. you know, and they're like, you look back and go, if I had only, if I had only. Yeah. Exactly. Gone. And what's sad about all this is gone is gone. Right? Right. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. Uh, anyway, thanks for calling in, Robin. I really appreciate it. It was Robin from Warren. Yeah, thank um, you for having this show. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Awesome. We're going to have Ethan back. He's a font of information here. Um, so we'll have him come back and explain half of this stuff. So um, it will be interesting to watch the government to see what they do. Do you think they understand? Maybe not. Mm, yeah, we'll <laughs> <see>. <laughs> Who knows? Um I think um, we there was one question I wanted to ask if I can just find it. It was about um, um, talking about the the portfolio itself. That it was called. Um, hang on, I can't find it. Um, sorry, the silence is me. Um, anyway, um, let's just. I can, I, if I can buy a, how do you, oh, that's, it, that's what I was going to ask. You have a Bitcoin, it's worth $23,000, but you can buy it in micro bits. Yeah. Um, how, does that happen online? You say, I, I have, I have $100, I want to buy, um, 0.230 of the Bitcoin. Yeah. It, it's right online? Yeah, it's exactly how it works. And, um, it's, and then you can add to it as you're going along? Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it can be in the form of micro transactions. Okay. 
And that's another thing that the overall blockchain uh, technology is, is really, really good at. It's really small transactions, um, like cents. And so um, that's another thing with uh, other technologies that uh, has a lot of potential. And what do you um, think the future is of Bitcoin? Going to keep going, going? Um, I mean, it's definitely going to continue to rise, uh, just given how uh, things have been and in the macro scale of things. Uh, but... It's more of an appreciation that could be similar to gold or something where it's right. slower once it matures. But it, right now it's in its infancy. Like if you could imagine uh, what uh, – when gold was getting traded initially, how much right. Of, right. unstable it was. And right. now it's been so long it's matured and right. I, that's a lot of the long game people have. I mean some people even think we like the future price of Bitcoin is in Bitcoin, meaning they think – the Bitcoin will become a extremely relevant currency. Oh, interesting. As opposed case, to the fiat system we're right, in now. Or the U.S. dollar. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily buy that. The government's so powerful compared right, well, to a, a program. Right. Um, but the very fact that it's being questioned is uh, fascinating to That's me. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. So you obviously are part of Coinbase. And and bit. and your your club is, is still active and yeah yeah we we uh, meet occasionally and it's kind of uh, meshed with our investment club finance right. and investing club right. so ah. there's a lot of crossover there that's great I think we're done Ethan thank awesome. you so thank much you. for coming on this has been so much fun there'll be a test later on people <laughs> um, and I'll flunk so don't worry about it anyway this is Pat McDonald your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV we will see you Tuesday bye. Thank you.